You're listening to Ideal Practice, episode number four. And today, guys, I'm going to tell you about five concrete steps I took to get my practice off the ground and up and running. Back when I had no idea what I was doing, I had no coaches, no internet, no really good books. I just sort of had to stumble through and figure things out. But here's the good news. It worked and it worked well. And you know what? It can work for you too. That's what we're talking about today. Stay tuned. I'm Wendy Pitts-Reeves, and with over two decades of experience in the private practice world, I've built my six-figure business while learning a lot of lessons the hard way. This is the first podcast that shows you how to apply the principles of energy, alignment, and strategy to build a practice that is profit-centered, but people-forward. This is the Ideal Practice Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome back. This is Wendy, and I am so glad you're here. We are talking about how to get your practice off the ground. How do you even start this thing when you kind of got an idea and you're kind of ready to take the leap, but oh my Lord, where do you even begin? Well, there are a lot of people out there that will have lots of ideas about how to do that. I thought I would share with you how I did it. Because I did it, y'all, without half the tools and resources that you have today. And I think there's a, there's a value to this. And that is that the basic things, steps that I took in the beginning actually will work for anyone in any situation, including you. So I wanted to share with you, <laughs> I was thinking about this. I was thinking about back when I made the decision to start a practice. For those of you who don't know me, um, I have been in I have been in the mental health world for decades, and I've been running a private practice since the early nineties. <laughs> yeah, you do the math. I'm not going to, but I never, in my wildest dreams, imagined that I would someday own a business. That was not in my DNA. I did not take business classes in school. The whole concept of running a business just bored me to death. I could care less about that. All I cared about was helping people and making the world a better place. Can you relate? Well, the day came when I was running um, the family therapy department of a residential treatment center for dual diagnosis adolescents. A lot of you will know what I mean by that. And I needed to work less. We were about to adopt and bring home our firstborn, and I really wanted to be home a little bit. I didn't want to work five days a week. I had waited a long time for this little guy to come into our lives, and I really wanted to be there with him, at least part-time. But I I waffled a bit. <laughs> Let's just say that. Sometimes it takes me a while to make a decision especially a big one like this. And there were a lot of things that went into it, and perhaps I'll share that over time. But I was thinking about, as I was preparing this preparing this episode, I was thinking about a day when I went to lunch with my supervisor, not my literal, like the, the person who had was in my direct line at my job, but my clinical supervisor, the, the, uh, the mentor from whom I was getting clinical supervision as I worked towards licensure. He was awesome, he was wise, 
and he was a straight shooter, for which I will always be grateful. His first name was Larry. And we were talking over lunch about what I was doing on this whole idea about maybe starting a practice kind of on the side. That's kind of what I was doing at this point. And I was going round and round and round about how I would do it, where I would do it, when I would do it, how I would see people, etc., etc., etc. And we'd been talking about it for a good while. And I remember sitting at a restaurant one day and he said, and, I, and he asked me again, so how are things coming? Have you got a place? You got a plan? What are you doing? And I, as I always tended to do, would go like, you know, I don't know. I, I was going to make some phone calls, but I was kind of nervous about it. And I couldn't really decide, like, what did I even say? And who, what do I ask? And who do I call? And he said, Wendy, honey, either do something, take some action, or let's quit talking about it. Let me tell you, I took some action. That very day, I went back to my office. And back then, y'all, <laughs> this is how we did things. I pulled out something some of you may have heard of called a phone book. And I flipped over to something that today we would call Google, but back then, or Yelp, back then it was called the Yellow Pages. And I opened it up to counselors. And I literally started calling every name on the list. I started at the top of the list and worked my way down. And that was the first step. That's what I needed. I needed a challenge. This first step I took was just setting a clear intention and making a decision. All right. I had to make a decision. And there were a couple of ways I did that. And the first one was by talking to Larry, by talking to my clinical supervisor, by getting his input on it, because he had been in private practice for a long time and it helped to talk to him. But it was also when I reached a point internally where I, I kind of let go of something I had been aiming for. When we decided to adopt, I began looking for a part-time clinical job and I just couldn't find one. They, were, they weren't out there. There was nothing to be found anywhere. And I had applied and applied and called and called and had been work, looking for months for a part-time job, and it just wasn't happening. So I did reach a moment a little bit before this conversation with Larry where I said, you know what? Screw it. It's just not meant to be. I'm going to start a daggone practice. I don't know how, but I'm going to do it. My first step was making that decision and telling my mentor about it. Okay, that was the first step, setting the intention without worrying about the how. The second step that I took that was concrete, that was an action, was to carve out the, no, actually it wasn't the carving out the time, it was finding this place. That's why I'd had that conversation with Larry, because I thought, if I'm going to see people, how do I do it? Where do I see them? We didn't do it over Zoom back then. That didn't exist. I needed a place. I couldn't see them in my home. I couldn't see them at my hospital office. That's why that conversation happened with Larry, because I was like, I, you know, how can I even start telling people if I don't have anywhere to see anybody? That's, that's kind of what that was all about. So my second step after setting an intention was to find the space. I needed a physical space to see people. Now today, you have the option of working with people virtually right off the bat. But you may also want to find an office of your own, or you may want to join forces with someone else who's already in office. What I did, literally starting that day after that lunch, when he said, either do something or shut up, <laughs> I started calling all the providers in my town. 
Now, I live in a small town that has about 30,000 people in it, give or take. We are next door, just south of Knoxville, Tennessee, which is a much bigger town. I could have called people there. There were lots to choose from, but I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to drive that far. I hadn't made those phone calls because, frankly, I was intimidated by the whole thing. I was calling practitioners and saying, do you have space for rent? Is there any chance you might have an office I could use? And if not, do you know of someone that I could? But that day I started doing that, literally calling them one by one and leaving messages or talking to them. And you know what came out of that? First of all, I got some really good advice because even the folks who didn't have space available were happy to share with me their top two or three tips for how to get a practice off the ground. And it was very encouraging. It was also really nice that they didn't laugh (laughs) or say, who are you? You know, they were super, super supportive and encouraging. And, And through that, I began to meet colleagues that I wouldn't have known otherwise. So that also turned out to be handy on down the road. But the best thing that came out of that was one particular psychologist said, hmm, well, I don't usually do this, but I'm intrigued. Would you be willing to meet with me at the office and let's hear what you got to say? I'm interested in what you're up to. And so I did. I went and met with him at his office one evening as he got done with his clients And he asked me a lot of really good questions like, who do you want to see? How are you going to get referrals? Um, How many hours a week do you want to work? How many days a week do you need the space, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And some of those questions I knew the answers to, some of them I didn't, but they were good questions and they helped me think. And he was willing to take a chance on me. I didn't know it at the time, but it turned out that he had never sublet an office before. He was very well respected in our community. He was even then what I would have called a senior level clinician. And uh, I'd actually worked at an agency that did some consulting with him. And I didn't have the guts to even talk to him when he walked in the door at that agency. But here I was in his office asking if I could use his space. And he said, you know what? Let's try it. So we set up an initial agreement that I could use his office, but only one day a week. And I would pay him a flat rate per hour when I was there. It wasn't very much, but it felt like a lot to me at the time. But it was fine. It was an opening. It gave me a place to get started. So I found my space. That was the second step after setting my intention. All right, I'm going to do this. Where would I see people? And then the third step that I took was I carved out the time. How and where would I do this? Okay. So for example, I was working guys full time. Remember, I was the director of family therapy at a residential treatment center, and I wasn't quitting my job. That took a while. I had to start this on the side so that I could build it up. Okay. Which I also recommend for a lot of you. Well, I needed space. I needed time. So what I did was I went to my administrator of the program where I worked. And I asked her if she would be open to my doing four 10-hour days instead of five eight-hour days. And she, to my surprise, said yes. She let me have Tuesdays off. And I just worked longer days, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. To this day, I don't know why she let me do that, but I'm grateful it worked. Now, some of the folks that I've coached, the way they've done this is designated designating certain evenings a week that they will see people or agreeing that they will see people on Saturday mornings from nine to 12 only something like that or Sunday afternoons from one to six only 
but they decide in advance how many hours a week they want to devote to this baby practice that's just getting started and designate specific hours to do that. Clarifying how and where and when were all concrete steps that served a really important function. For one thing, when I got my first referral, I had a place to see them and a designated day in which I could schedule. But for another thing, that told the universe that I was serious about doing this work. That was the power of that intention that I started everything off with. So setting the intention, finding the space, carving out the time. The fourth concrete step that I took was to sort out and kind of create some initial structure for the practice. And again, we're talking baby steps here, y'all. But here's where I began. First of all, I needed a phone that people could call. What number would they call? I wasn't going to have them call my home, right? So I had to figure that out. I needed a place for people to mail forms or checks or to get business-related mail. I didn't want that coming to my home. I couldn't use the office I was borrowing or renting by the hour. So I went out and got a P.O. box. (laughs) I remember to this day how excited I was when I got to give that up when I had my first real office of my own. But that's where I started. I had a phone, a practice phone. I had a P.O. box. I created my initial forms, my intake forms. Today, you can go online and find all kinds of samples. Or if you're using something like Simple Practice or Therapy Notes, they've already got all this figured out for you. But I created mine from scratch, kind of mixing and mingling what I liked best from other examples. I made sure my malpractice insurance was in good shape and would cover me separate from the hospital where I worked. And I, in the beginning, I did not, I wasn't on insurance panels. That took a little while longer. So in the beginning, I was self-pay only. So that didn't really matter. But I did have to sort out my pricing. What was I going to charge? Ah, right? And I went up and set up a basic a business checking account. And today, I, in another episode, I'll talk with you about the a handful of accounts that I think you really need to have on board. But in the very beginning, just one designated place, savings and or checking, or really ideally both, that anything business related went into and came out of. I did somehow or another know not to mix business and personal money from the beginning. I'm not sure how I knew that. So getting those kind of basic structures in place, what am I going to charge? Where do I deposit the money when it comes in? What kind of paperwork do I want to have in place? How do people call me? How do people send something to me in the mail? Is my insurance coverage good? Getting all that kind of stuff lined up meant that when I got my first referral, I was ready to go. So think about this. This was kind of like I was putting the skeleton in place, right? Putting the bones in place for what a practice would look like. This is all very preliminary. There's a whole lot more that came after this, but you got to start somewhere, y'all. I'll say, as my coach once said, You got to learn to love the tweak. Start somewhere, improve it later. So that's what I did. All of that took me, I want to say maybe somewhere between three to six months. Keep in mind, I wasn't anywhere near as confident then as I am now. I did, I do a lot of things scared, (laughs) y'all. There was a lot happening in my life right then. 
but a lot of it was just overcoming fear and making myself step through each new doorway that I needed to step through along the way. So it took me a little while. I want to say it was like three to six months. But here's the cool thing, and this leads to step five. As I was going through this process, of course, I talked about it. I told my colleagues at work, hey, I think I found a place. As it was happening, I was excited. Step five is you got to spread the word. And I remember even back then, somebody told me, you got to ask for the business. So talking about what I was doing laid the groundwork because it shared the enthusiasm and it let people know what I was up to. But I also had to say, if you need someone, if you're looking for a therapist, for someone that you know, and you can't help them for whatever reason, or you're not sure where to return, where to turn, give me a call. Keep me in mind. I began going to networking opportunities, small group events, conferences, professional meetings, anything I could that got me out into the community where I had a chance to meet people. I did that in my own town and I did it in the larger towns around me. And guys, I'm an introvert like out the wazoo. So that was not an easy thing to do. But I was serious about getting this business off the ground and I had to get out and meet people. You know what I would do? You know what my biggest marketing ploy was in the beginning? I was in a small town on one side of the river and I went to the bigger town on the other side of the river. I lived in and still do in Maryville. Tennessee, which is pronounced Maryville by the locals. And I would go to Knoxville, which to somebody in Maryville felt like a long way away and vice versa. And I would say to people, hey, you know, if you need anybody over my neck of the woods, keep me in mind. Hey, if you got a referral and you need some help finding um, a therapist for someone who lives in Maryville, keep me in mind because I have got some room. I would literally just say that something that casual, that informal did it. And then the day came, of course it did, when a colleague of mine said to me one day, hey, Wendy, I've got a family that I've been seeing and I think, or a woman I've been seeing, and I think somebody needs to see the couple. Are you interested? Well, after my like two heartbeats worth of panic, of course, I said, sure, absolutely. Tell me what to do. And thing, my practice was born. Okay. <laughs> That was actually another psychologist that I actually worked with at the hospital. I still remember that's who I got my first referral from. And I don't know if she really needed, really wanted me to see them or she was just trying to be nice and give me a leg up. They did actually need help, but I appreciated it, whatever it was. And once you get the first one, the second one isn't far behind and the third after that. And then you are off and running. So this is all you've got to do. Just number one, get really clear about your intention. Make a decision. Are you going to do this or not? You're just going to talk about it? Or are you going to actually do it? As my mentor said to me. Number two, if you see clients, how and where are you going to do it? Are you going to work with them virtually? If so, do you have that set up? If not, are you going to work with them in person? How and where? Figure that out. Number three, when are you going to see them? Now, if you have the wherewithal or the means or the space in your life and you can right off the bat just start seeing people anytime, that's fine too. Although I do encourage you to set some boundaries around it and don't be available to anyone anytime, any day. But 
If you're working full-time somewhere and you're starting a practice on the side, designate specific clinical hours. And be careful, y'all. Give yourself downtime. Give yourself break time. Give yourself family time. Be careful about this because it can consume you pretty quickly. I recommend starting off with maybe five hours a week, maybe building up to maybe 10, maybe 12. I wouldn't do much more than that. Step four, get your initial structure set up. If you use a tool like Simple Practice or Therapy Notes, all of those kinds of things are built in. I definitely recommend those. I don't use those myself because by the time they came along, I already had my own way of doing things. But they're out there and they make starting a practice really easy. So I definitely encourage you to do that. And then step five, spread the word. Get out there and tell people what you're doing. No one's going to come to you if they don't know that you're open. All right. So don't be shy. This is not the time to be shy. Be excited, y'all. Be proud. You now are set and ready to serve people in a whole new way, your way. This is the beginning of your ideal practice. And I don't know about you, but I think that's kind of cool. So do these five things and you will be up and running before you know it. Love it. Can't wait to hear what you do with it. And by all means, shoot me an email and tell me where you go with this. Let me know. Declare to me what's happening in your practice. I might want to send you some referrals myself. You never know. Take good care, everybody. And I'll see you next time. Bye now. And that, my friends, is a wrap. I'm so glad you guys are here. Thank you so much for listening. You guys are the absolute best. If you've enjoyed this episode, tell a friend about it, share it with a colleague, and don't forget to click subscribe because I don't want you to miss a single thing coming up. I got lots of good stuff in store for you. I hope you have an awesome week and I will see you next time. Bye now. Bye.